First, the lesson today is 1 Peter, starting at the fourth chapter. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we come and continue now in 1 Peter 4, as we have just heard, we get an invitation to uh, live differently. An invitation that has been given to us throughout this letter, throughout this discipleship manual for us. In an example of that, in a recent edition of the Voice of the Martyrs, they highlight the Uzbek Christians during the 10-year period in which they were under intense persecution coming from the government. They no longer experience that kind of persecution, although it continues through family members and community instead. Zamira and Atmarat were two of those uh, Uzbekistan Christians. That's just north of Afghanistan. Zamira, she led, actually her future husband to Christ. And as they lived in Christ together and would frequently gather with other Christians in house and home churches, they would also frequently be used to raids. Because they were Christian and because they would gather Uh, the police would frequently break in. They would use code words to decide whose home they'd be gathering in that week. But on one of those occasions, they gathered and were found out. And as the police uh, broke in, they 
uh, were all hauled off to the police station and one by one to be interrogated uh, as they had collected Bibles and Bible study material as the church was gathering with around 18 folk that morning. And then as each one took their turn to be interrogated, as they gathered there and waited in the uh, police station, they realized, you know, we, we didn't quite finish the service. So they began to sing. They even took the offering in the lobby of uh, the police station. They continued to live differently. On another occasion, uh, their son, Samuel, or Samuel, was a sixth grader at the time. He's now in college. Decided that he wanted to share the gospel with his fellow classmates. And so several of them began to come to Jesus. So you guessed it, on one occasion, the police officer broke into the classroom and uh, removed Samuel and interrogated him. This young uh, 12 or so year old boy was uh, understandably shook up and he came to his dad that afternoon and said, Dad, why is God allowing this difficulty? And the Lord had already been uh, ministering to his dad who had been asking the same question. And he said, son, I think the Lord has told me that, it's, that he's training you. And he was. He was training Samuel just as we hear in this text. He's training us that in spite of suffering, God continues to call us to serve him. And one other occasion that their family experienced this kind of uh, suffering was one among them was frequently police just showing up in their home for no reason, even if they weren't gathering as a church. Tearing down things off the wall, hunting for Bible study materials. And at their home on one of those occasions uh, that were disturbing and difficult, but part of the norm, Zamira was there with the children during the day as the police were ransacking their home. And finally, as they were wrapping up, the uh, authorities said to her, you know, all you have to do, you wouldn't have to go through this if you would just do and behave like everybody else. If you would just act like everyone else, you wouldn't have to go through this. And this is where we come to our text For we are invited to not live by the passions of the world. We are instead invited to live by a different type of passion. You see, the word passion in Latin most certainly implies some of those fleshly yearnings that we hear read in the text. Something that the uh, first uh, century folk in Asia Minor would have been very well familiar with in their culture, lest you think it only got bad these days, right? But the word passion also not only means this idea of uh, feelings from the earthly flesh, but also a whole other kind of passion, 
suffering. And so we call what Christ experienced on the cross for us the passion of Christ. And so we are invited right here at the beginning of 1 Peter chapter 4 to not live like everybody else, but instead to live by a different type of passion based and motivated by a cross-shaped passion, the passion of Christ. Now, we live in a world that says that what feels good is good, right? And that often shapes even uh, the morality or motivation for meaning in this world. And that becomes, even if on occasion we agree with that morality, when it's based on feeling, it is baseless. For example, uh, we might agree with a a non-believer that racism is bad. And we do, right? But why? Not just because I feel it to be so, or I think it to be so, but because in, based in the reality of being made in the image of God. Anchored in the reality of what God has done, we see the beauty of all God's children. If it were anchored simply in uh, my own feeling, well, guess what? Sadly, we've seen the results of that throughout human history. When morality is baseless, it's just simply based on me. A story I heard a preacher tell about the uh, TV show, The Simpsons, And you might think, well, this is an old story, uh, but I'll have you know the Simpsons are uh, entering into their 34th season on air right now. And the the writer of this uh, animated series decides that their small town is going to have a festival, a new festival. It's called the Festival of Do What You Feel. Do whatever you feel. And it was going along quite well. Right up until the point that the uh, stands that all of the guests at the festival were sitting on collapsed. And some people were injured. And they soon figured out that it was because the bolts that attached those uh, stands for the guests to sit on had not been properly tightened and fastened. And so they went to the man uh, who, whose job it was to do that. And you see, at this festival of do what you feel, it had only one rule. No shoulds. No telling anyone that they should do this or should do that. And so they went into this man and said, why didn't you fasten those bolts? You should have fastened those bolts. He said, well, it would have taken me two extra hours of work. I didn't feel like doing it. And as the episode went on, the the chaos, misery, and death ensued. 
You see, when we base our meaning or morality on how we feel, it always leads to misery. Unless it's based on a passion different than our own. Unless it's based in the reality, not of human feeling, but the reality of what God has done. And so the Christian experience, the Christian call, as we hear in 1 Peter 4, is based on a reality shaped by God. One that is based on the fact that He made us. He created us. He came to be with us. Suffered for us. And now invites us to align our whole way of thinking based on Him. A firm foundation, a cornerstone we heard in this text. A a new way, a new ethnicity, a new citizenship based on Christ. A reality that is a solid foundation and not baseless. And that's a good reminder for us as we continue reading through this text and get to verse 7 where we uh, are reminded that the end is near. Now sometimes we make fun of folks who might hold up a sign like that, right? And yet the Apostle Peter has no trouble reminding us that this is so. And some of you might be saying, oh, wait a minute. Wasn't it 2,000 years almost since he wrote this and the end is year near? And that is just as true then as it is now. As we await the return of Christ, not because we know how many years there will be, but because we are called to be ready to live every day with the truth that the end is near. And so therefore, as you and I know, and as uh, I've had the privilege of walking alongside folks when the end is near for them, it tends to put into focus what is most important. And so we spend our time focused on that which is essential. This is the invitation and calling of every Christian. To focus on that which is essential. So verse 7 tells us, since the end is near, and then we get one of those therefores again. Michelle Boyd uh, taught one pastor I was reading that uh, this truth, whenever you see a therefore, you need to wonder what it's there for, right? And you might recall from a couple of weeks ago when we remembered that the imperative of Christian living always begins with a therefore. In other words, once again, Peter is reminding us since we've been given this great imperishable gift, since uh, we've been given this cornerstone, this new identity, and we no longer live by the passions of this world, And since the end is near, therefore, we live thus. And so he tells us how we speak and how we serve has a whole different motivation based in a reality that comes from God. We see this in this dear family 
among the Uzbek Christians. The end is near, therefore, we remember the salvation of God, the gift that is imperishable and unfading. We focus on the most important with our words and our service. And yes, there may be among us those who are surprised that we don't take part in the passions of this world. There'll be those among us who ridicule us for it. But even little Samuel, a sixth grader, knew that there were more things important than the passions of this world. Sacrifice is often the result of an example of love. So don't be surprised when the world around us don't affirm the morality that the Bible teaches. Don't be surprised when they say uh, that word is out of date. I liked how another pastor put it when he wrote, all that is not eternal is actually eternally out of date. All that is not eternal is eternally out of date. This family that we heard about today endured suffering not out of spite to stick it to the man, but with a whole different way of thinking. Following that, therefore, a new citizenship, an imperishable gift, the power of the cross of Christ. It is the theology of the cross that even in suffering, God is working for our good. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that famous Lutheran pastor who spoke up in the days of Nazi Germany and eventually even gave his life for his ministry to the truth and to the word, tells us that Christians should live their lives in a way that should cause non-believers to question their disbelief. For our lives are based on the reality of Christ. Revealed in love for others. Revealed in the spoken word of sharing the gospel. And so we are invited in this text to be stewards of that grace. As we sacrifice our time. As we're inconvenienced. As we sacrifice our resources. As we offer hospitality. As we sacrifice our money, I mean, they even took the offering in the police station. As we sacrifice our reputation, we don't do things like everybody else. Are you a steward of grace like that sixth grader? Are you being willing to be known as a follower of Christ in every corner of your life? Are you stewarding those gifts? Gifts that you have been given. And seeking to gather with other Christians. In the routine of work and rest on Sabbath. Now remember, your work doesn't save you. In the last verse of this chapter, will remind us of that. Let us therefore, another therefore, those who suffer according to God's will, trust their souls to a faithful creator. 
We trust our souls to the faithful creator who does this salvation, who does this saving work while we continue to do good. So, yes, indeed, as you heard, love does cover a multitude of sins. It's Jesus' love and sacrifice. It's that sacrifice that we remember, that suffering that we align our lives with when we come to this table. This is my body. This is my blood. It's not baseless. It's based on the reality of His sacrifice. And so therefore, therefore, we live by His passion. Amen.